we'd like a word. About a writer's festival, we are talking on this episode of We'd Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. And this is part three, and we're talking about the Virtual Writers Weekend. This is, you may know it as the Winchester Writers Festival, but it's now morphed into the Virtual Writers Weekend. And we're going to hear about how to actually join it and all, all the important stuff and dates and all that with Sarah Gangai again. But before that, we're going to hear from one of the speakers, Reshma Ruya, Dr. Reshma Ruya, who is an author. Tell us a bit about yourself, Reshma. Thank you, first of all, you know, uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. Thanks to Sarah as well for enabling me to take part. So briefly, I'll be presenting a workshop on multiculturalism, how to create multicultural characters and works of fiction and in poetry, characters who are not just like cardboard cutouts or stereotypes, but who reflect the complex and multi-layered world we live in today. I feel that um, it's such an emotive word, multicultural. I consider myself multicultural. I was born in India, brought up in Italy, lived in France, of course now live in Manchester. Straddling so many boundaries, you know, cultural, linguistic, geographical, I think has shaped and enriched my journey, I would say, as a writer. But uh, of course, as we are all aware that in recent years, it's become a very weighted political term. Uh, Jargon words like cultural appropriation, identity politics, political correctness, they've entered the discourse, the narrative. And the presumption is that writers should stay in their lane. They should only write uh, what they know about. And I don't know, uh, many of your listeners might recall last year, there was a huge furore caused by a novel called American Dirt, which had been chosen by Oprah as a book club choice. But then the book faced a backlash because it was written by a white woman, um, someone called Janine Cummins. And the whole sort of thesis was, how dare a white woman imagine a Mexican immigrant woman's, you know, struggles to cross the border. I mean, having said that, I mean, there's no doubt that traditional Western canon, in my opinion, has portrayed generally non-white characters in a reductive sort of one-dimensional way. You know, uh, you have to only think of Rudyard Kipling. Gone with the Wind, or even Martin Amos. But I would say that it extends beyond race. Also, it also covers gender. You know, a lot of women have been reduced to cardboard cutouts or footnotes to a predominantly male point of view. It reminds me of the phrase, a sexy lamp. People saying, yeah, yeah. if you could replace this female <laughs> character with a sexy looking standard That's lamp, right. clearly yeah. there's something going wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I agree. And so this sort of lack of depth, I think, is also matched by sort of broad sweeping generalizations as well. I'm not pointing fingers. I think these writers probably reflect the prejudices and morality of their age. You know, things have moved on. Having said that, I personally, I feel that a writer should have freedom to write about whatever they want, you know. And in that, you know, I'm certainly belong to the, the Lionel Shriver's sort of school of thought, which says that we need to be careful to differentiate between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation, you know. If I just wrote about, oh, what does an Indian woman of a certain age, you know, if I just keep writing about that, you know, I'll just be stale. It's like swimming in that same sort of turgid pond. And that will not nurture me, my growth as a writer, nor will it uh, whet the appetite of readers who want to travel through books, you know, who want to experience different ways of living and seeing. So going back to my own work, I've written two novels, A Mouthful of Silence and Something Black in the Lenten Soup. And they're both from a sort of first-person male point of view. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, I was quite uh, nervous about that, but then I plunged in. And my poetry also has like a sort of a carnival of characters, you know, of different ages, gender, stages. Your poetry collection is a dinner party, a in, dinner the home, party. in the home, the home countries. And right, you've got a yeah. short story collection coming out as well. Mrs. Pinto Drives to Happiness. That's right. Yeah. And so that again has, you know, a host of characters, you know, the, the, they range from an old Englishman mourning the loss of his wife to a young Sri Lankan woman who's fleeing domestic labor to a Lebanese man lodging with an American family in Virginia. The multicultural, the scope is wide, but where, you know, as a writer who's writing about multicultural characters, where I think, uh, you know, I am uh, very careful and I would advise this to everybody is to engage in research in terms of setting and the voice of the characters, place them in the context of their own history and culture, not, you know, my own sort of interpretation of them, you know. You know, if I write about, say, a black character, don't just place a gun in the hand of an 18-year-old black boy and put him in a, you know, ghetto, you know. There should be more nuance and depth. Research is very, very important. And nowadays, you know, with the internet, so easy. And I would say that go beyond Wikipedia as well, you know, because sometimes that can be quite a stilted, one-dimensional way. Talk to people, you know, go out, listen, you know. I mean, writers are like magpies, right? We're always sort of collecting odd bits of conversation. And of course, in this pandemic, it's not been as easy. We've spent so much time inside our heads, You've hit on an interesting point when you talked about nuance, because yeah. I think if there's, if there's anything that's going to mark the 2020s when we look back on it in history, it's tribalism, division, you know, whether it's Brexit, Trumpism and the rise of the right in America and left and right. We seem to have lost our ability to inhabit yeah. the centre, which, which is more nuanced, where you can see things yeah. from both sides. It's mm. going to make things, I mean, unless society gets better, isn't it going to be a lot harder to be able to write without cultural appropriation? I think it's just becoming very difficult because there's this whole, uh, it's uh, sort of reminds me of George Orwellian sort of kind of society that's slowly evolving. This new kind of puritanism, you know, that's coming up. Mm. That if you don't try it in a certain way, we'll just cancel you. This sort of cancel culture. It's like a sort of a third eye that's watching over you, you know, when you're writing. And, which and it's both is, sides, isn't it? It's the left and the right. The, the middle, yeah. the middle is the enemy. Yeah, the, yeah, the middle <laughs> is the middle, literally, you know, the squeeze middle, yeah. you know. When you were talking about saying if you're writing a black character, you, you wouldn't have a young black man with a gun in his hand, you would steer clear of that. You reminded mm -hmm. me, I was talking to a writer from Ghana, Peace mm -hmm. Ajo Medie. She has a book, His Only Wife, just came out last month. And she mm -hmm. was talking about writing about her hometown of Ho in eastern Ghana. And the character leaves the town of Ho and goes to Accra and lots of things happen. Mm -hmm. So Ho is a kind of small town backwater. And she was very conscious, she was saying, because it's summer that doesn't really get represented in writing at all. And she'd never read anything set in Ho. So she was starting that process off. And she was very concerned not to misrepresent it or stereotype it. And yet at the same time, she wanted and demanded complete freedom to write whatever she wanted. So her solution to fulfilling both those things was to write from to lots of different characters so that if there was a woman you didn't think this woman could possibly represent Ho because she was only one of many women and a man one of many men so that you couldn't really fall into the trap of thinking oh they're all like this or they're all like that so I guess you could mm -hmm. put a gun in the hand of a young black man if he was one of many young black men sure. in your book sure yeah so for instance yeah I, I would agree with the you know for instance, in my novel, A Mouthful of Silence, it's about an Indian immigrant male. 
and it's set in Manchester. And the, he has an arranged marriage and there's, you know, community pressure. So these are all sort of familiar cliche tropes, you know, of arranged marriage, big glitzy wedding and nostalgia for the land left behind. But in order to elevate it more, you know, you have to focus on the interior life of the character as well and be very authentic and honest in your research and in your portrayal of them. Portray the tug of war, but not in a way that's reductive or simplistic. So in my book, a number of characters and some, of course, are sort of walking cliches because that's what they are, you know. There's no hiding that. But then there are some who they stretch the metaphors and the similes and they go beyond. It's tricky as a writer that if I want yeah. to... If I want to appear to be a more balanced and inclusive writer, I might want to include characters who are from other cultures that I've never experienced. And being able to write those in a way that is genuine and effective, I've got to do a lot of research. I've got to base it on someone I know very, very well. But the issue then, of course, is you're basing it on an individual, and that individual may be very different to the general groundswell, as it were. You know, if you've got a second generation Asian boy, he's going to think about the world very differently to someone who's who's literally just come over here from from india yeah. and, yeah. and it, it makes it very difficult because on the one hand you want to be inclusive and you want to include these characters but on the other hand you're desperately afraid that you're just going to write something that, that's going to offend someone yeah. and that, that makes it very tricky no matter how much research you do i suppose if you're specific yeah. then you write the particular type of one that you're talking about and then it doesn't appear to be more generally representative you definitely you definitely want to be you don't want to be lumbered into the stereotype bracket you've written this person exactly as you thought they might be there because they're all like that you don't want to go down that path at all obviously yeah. but at the same time you don't want to be a, too scared to leave these characters out because they, they add color and and society yeah. is colorful they also present a version of truth, you know. And one of the problems I faced in finding a publisher, actually, funnily enough, for my novels was that uh, they said, oh, but how come you're not set it in India? How come there's not? Almost like exotic tropes, you know. So there's a certain assumption that if you are a South Asian writer, you will write about certain issues because that's what uh, the general public wants. But of course, you know, readers are much more, you know, complex than publishers would have us believe. So This came up a few episodes ago. We were doing... We were looking at young adult fiction and we had writers Sarwat Chadha and Shuli mm -hmm. Ghosh, but we kind of strayed into this and they were suggesting that they thought the whole idea of cultural appropriation was the serpent that had begun to eat its own tail. That's in something that maybe had a role at getting people a place at the table when they didn't have any space, but now had become something destructive. So, for instance, Sarwat was saying that he'd been criticised for writing Hindu characters and he'd also been criticised for writing female characters and mm. that it was becoming very sectional and restrictive. I don't know if, if you think there'd be something in that. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a truth. But, you know, but culture and fiction, you know, it's never static. It's always changing, absorbing the influences. Fiction should reflect the world we live in, you know, I mean... An Indian can learn to foxtrot, for instance. I want to write fiction and I want to read fiction that celebrates this, you know, multiplicity of voices. Is there a short passage from one of your books you could read? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to read a poem from my collection, A Dinner Party in the Home Counties. And I thought uh, this poem sort of pretty much sums up this whole sort of debate or discussion that we've been having. So here it goes. A Dinner Party in the Home Counties. Being peripheral, I can't offer opinions on climate change, oil prices, 
the Brexit crisis. I am a different breed of fish. Well-meaning white voices throw questions like bait. Did you go for an arranged marriage? Where are you from originally? One false move, I will be caught in the net. How pleased they look. I don't drop my cutlery or my vows. BAME, or is it really blame? I become an acronym in certain rooms. But what I feel, think, or eat can never be marginal. I choose not to talk of sacred cows, gurus striking dog down poles. I have earned my right to claim the slice of sky as my own, to plant my flag, sow my seed. Don't push me to the edges of a faded pink map, my face pinned to a rogues gallery labeled Minority Alternative Arts. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Let's bring Sarah Gangai back in. Sarah, can you just remind us again of the dates for the Writers' Weekend? Sure. The Writers' Weekend is from 24th to 27th of June, but the Writers' Circles, writing groups online, start on the 16th of May. So the deadline for the writing groups is the 13th of May. The deadline to book for the Writers' Weekend is the 20th of June. And there's so much in the program, I really recommend that people go to our website to look at it. They'll see all the different packages that are available. The website is www.writersweekend.uk. And the ticket prices range from £5 for a panel, which will be happening on Sunday night with Kate Moss and Abby Dare and literary agent Lucy Morris. They're going to be talking about tips on writing and publishing and discuss the Women's Prize Trust's new talent development program called Discoveries. And there are a number of free tickets for that for women who are financially struggling. Tickets are only five pounds for that. And then for the keynotes, you can buy it on its own to hear Diana Gabaldone, for instance, is only 15 pounds, and it includes a recording of the talk that you can access until the 31st of August. So you can hear it as many times as you like. And all of the packages, uh, you can come for one day or both days, and depending on how, how many days you purchase, uh, you get one-to-ones with each package. So if you come for the entire weekend and do a writer's circle, you can have five one-to-ones with literary agents to pitch your work. I just want to mention also that we have six writing competitions that are also part of the event. They're all on our website. They range from flash fiction, writing for children, short story, picture book, opening of a novel. And we also have a free writing competition for young writers aged 4 to 16. And the deadlines for that are 28th of May for everything, except for short story, which is 4th of June. And we also have scholarships and bursaries available for people who are struggling. So we've got a number of full scholarships that are being offered and 75 pound bursaries that people can apply for. We've already given away four of them and we're constantly getting more money in to give out. We also have an expo so you can chat with different vendors 
and join group chats to talk about topics that are interesting. So it's very interactive. But the best thing to do would be go to our website and take a look. Will you tell us the websites one more time? www.writersweekend.uk Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Reshma Ruya and Sarah Gangai and Adrian Dines and John Baker for taking part in this episode of Weed Like a Word. We'll be back next time with, I don't know what, something, something interesting. What do you think? It's always interesting. There's always something interesting. There's so much to talk about. It's all unpredictable, but we'll work something out between now and then. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Coleman. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.